0: Hello, this is Yarrow and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Today's guest is Graham Cochran. Hello, hello. Thank you for downloading today's episode of the EJ podcast. I have a real treat for you with this interview with Graham, because it's one of the best podcasts I believe I've done so far, because my guest was so forthcoming in sharing every step of his process. Graham teaches people how to mix and produce music, he uses video, he has a a really popular YouTube channel and also a popular blog, and he's done over $600,000 a year in revenue now. But what's amazing is you really feel the process from starting from scratch to growing his audience, growing his email list, to selling his first and second product, to making $5,000 in one year to $60,000 the next year and then finally breaking through to six figures and then multiple six figures. So you're really going to get all the steps along the way. So I know you will love this interview. First though, if you have not done so already, go to interviewsclub.com and sign up to my email list for this podcast. And I'll send you an email each time I release a new episode. So you'll always get the latest releases as soon as I publish them. That's interviewsclub.com. All right, here's that interview with Graham. My guest today came to me through some research I was actually doing on Business Insider. There's a, a great column there written by Libby Kane, and she interviews and does stories about a lot of successful online business owners and I always keep an eye out for anyone who's got the word blog in their title if they've used the blog to make money since uh, it's what I've done for over a decade and I know everyone listening in loves to hear those stories too so when I saw this this headline pop out of me it says how a 32 year old freelance sound mixer started making $75,000 a month from a blog, I had to uh, read the story and then check out his blog. His name is Graham Cochran, and we're lucky enough to have him on the show today to find out exactly how he set up this blog and everything behind the scenes. So Graham, thank you for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me, Yaro. It's my pleasure.
0: So you uh, are essentially a professional sound mixer, or I don't know, recording recording something. What's, what's the technical term for what you do? <laughs>
1: recording something. That's yeah. basically <laughs> it. You can call it whatever. Yeah, I, technically, I, I'm a, an audio engineer, trained audio engineer. So I have everything from recording to then mixing the music afterwards, which is what we do to take the tracks and make them sound better and ready to go on the radio and all that kind of stuff.
0: So is that something that, that, and I know we're going to find this out, but that you got that skill because you yourself actually wanted to become a musician at some point, or were a musician. Is that right?
1: Right. That became like, a, that was a bonus skill to my first passion, which is music. Um, and, you know, growing up in a band, you kind of have the choice of when it's time to record your music, do you go into a studio and pay somebody to do it who knows what they're doing and hope that you can get, you can afford enough studio time or do you uh, buy some equipment yourself, um, which was harder to do 15, 20 years ago than it is today. Um, Buy equipment and figure it out yourself so you can record your own record and make it sound the way you want. And in doing that uh, out of necessity, we thought it was the most economical, I learned a whole nother thing I was interested in, which is the recording and the putting of the sounds together to make a record. I thought that was a cool art form as well. Mm, Awesome so
0: uh i love the fact that and, and you know this is the dream on some level maybe not quite how you expected but the the making a living and then some from your art your music is is always a dream i think like, maybe a lot of musicians see themselves actually selling records necessarily of their music but i think your story is fantastic for anyone who's an artist who perhaps can take the same skill they develop from that art and make money, but not quite the way they expected. So can we just, before we dive into your history, just in a a nutshell, how exactly do you make money today? What's the business look like?
1: Yeah, that's something my in-laws would like to know. (laughs) They don't understand. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, primarily I I have a blog uh, and a YouTube channel where most of my content is made. And I make my money through selling online courses. Um, teaching people the inner workings of recording and mixing music so that it sounds really good, so it sounds like what they hear on the radio. So I'm mostly in-depth courses that I'm selling on the back end. I have a membership site as well um, where we do a lot of training and coaching. Um, and so those are the biggest areas where the money comes in. And I'll,
0: I'll spit out the blog now for people to check out while they're listening. It's called the therecordingrevolution.com. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. So they can check out your blog, your content, your products, uh, and I have to mention uh, your friend uh, Joe Gilder because I actually featured him on my blog many years ago. Yeah, I do remember him talking about a partner in a membership site. So is that the other side of the fence for the membership? Yeah, that's
1: site? yeah, that's one of the products we offer that we do together, which is kind of cool. Um, so it's we split that business. Uh, it's called Dueling Mixes. It's a it's a community website and. Um, It's a lot of fun. We've been doing that for four years together.
0: I know. I love the fact that you both are basically doing. I won't say exactly the same thing because I don't know it enough to know if it's that different or not. But to me, it looks like it's the same thing. But you both have very big businesses. Like I know he was doing about three hundred thousand a year many years ago when I interviewed him. So you're both doing you know multiple six figures, which is huge. But let us I'd love to hear where Joe comes in the story too. So let's go back in time, finally, to tell your entrepreneur's journey. So I'm guessing, though, if I ask you this question, if we went back to your sort of teenage years, you probably weren't thinking entrepreneur
1: pathway. You were thinking musician pathway. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's for sure. I, I had no entrepreneur bone in my body. No one in my family had a business. So that was not anything I ever thought of. Um, my dad had a normal job in the government. My mom was a teacher. Um, but my dad was a musician and he instilled in me a love for music, and I I couldn't picture myself doing anything other than making music. Only other thing I was interested in was acting. I did theater and musical theater, and I was like, I could be a, a movie star. So, a movie star or a rock star, those were my only <laughs> things I was interested in. Living the dream. Uh, <laughs> Living the dream. So, that was all I hoped to do. Um, you know, I had the side passion of recording music that I, I discovered in high school, actually realized you could go to college to learn it because I didn't really want to go to to university. Um, But I was like, well, if I can learn how to play with music all day and play in the studio, that that sounds like, if I can get a degree doing that, it sounds like fun. So I learned a lot more there, made some records, um, tried to get signed as an artist and and through all the connections I had, I really worked hard to try to make that dream a reality. But it wasn't in the cards for me. Um, But definitely entrepreneurship was the last thing on my mind. Ironically, being an artist is is it being an entrepreneur, um, and I didn't think about it that way. I just was hoping that a record label would just scoop me up and solve all my problems. But actually, these days, as a musician, side tangent: if you want to be a successful musician, you actually have to think like an entrepreneur mm. to even make it. But yeah, that wasn't ever in the cards for me. At least I thought. Well, what instruments did you play? I'm a vocalist primarily, okay. singer, and then guitar. So I singer songwriter, in so, bands, all that kind of stuff. So
0: how did that? career go in terms of like did you end up having gigs and did you end up getting signed to anything or where did you go with music career
1: never got signed um shopped around a, a record i did my senior year of high college to a bunch of labels and um you know a little bit of interest but nobody really cared so uh, i i gigged a lot in college did a bunch of regional gigging and tours and just sort of playing in bands and solo stuff and the band didn't work out. I was like, well, I don't need you guys. I'm going (laughs) to do my dream. So I I played a lot of shows, sang with a lot of groups, wrote a lot of songs. Um, But, you know, it wasn't really working out. And what was working out was I was engaged to a beautiful young woman. I wanted to get married and uh, we wanted to start a life together. And that was definitely happening. I was like, well, the music thing isn't quite happening getting married. That seems to be happening. So I probably just need to go get a job. <laughs> so, How old were you then? I was 22.
0: Okay. So time to be a man, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah. So I kind of buried the dream. And I was okay with it. I had done music my whole life. And I was like, well, I really i want to get married to this woman and want to live a life. So I, I got to do something. So what did you do? Oh, man. I, I tried to sell advertising at a radio station. I was horrible at that. It's funny because I sell for a living now, but I, I couldn't sell anybody. Uh, radio spots. So I tried to do that. Um, I worked at a jewelry store for a while, and I eventually found a job as an audio engineer for a software company. There's a cool company called Rosetta Stone. They make language learning software. Yep. Yep. And so I, I worked for them for about three years, um, and that was that was a cool company to work for. A young, hit software company, and I was in the audio department. It wasn't music, but I was using my skills in the studio to record all the voiceover talent that they would put into the software. And on the nights and weekends, I I had a studio in my house, and I have bands and singer-songwriters come over, and I would record albums. And it was always sort of a freelance side gig for me, and I really, really enjoyed that. Made extra money, and uh, kind of lived that dream for about three, four years.
0: So, this skill set you developed of mixing and producing music was that from your, you know, your college studies, or university studies, or is that something you learned on the fly?
1: Uh, both. Yeah, I was learning on the fly in high school, and then while I was going to college for it. So. Um, you know, the classes were great, the the professors were great, but you learn more by just doing it a lot like being a business owner, you, know, you could read business books all day, um, and learn a lot in your head that can help you. But until you just start trying to sell stuff and create services and products, you know, that's where you really learn a lot. So I was doing both. And really, in those formative years from 18 to 22, I was learning a lot about the process of producing records and making it sound good. And I was freelancing while I was in, co- in my college dorm room, I was recording bands and charging and it was a lot of fun. Nice.
0: So is that? And forgive my ignorance here, but is how hard is that? Do You just grab a copy of Pro Tools, the software for recording music, and you know twiddle some knobs and try and figure out how to record <laughs> stuff. Like how how hard is it actually to learn this skill and get good at it?
1: Well, uh, there's two parts to that answer. One is it's it's relatively easy. The good the good news is that it's something anybody can learn. Um, the the bad news is is the it's not that simple at first and that's why I make a living (laughs) because people don't, they're, they're trying it on their own and they're not happy with the results they get on YouTube or they get on Google and they're like, why did my, why does my guitar sound awful or how do I record vocals to sound like Taylor Swift or whatever they're trying to do? And they'll eventually find me telling them, Oh, it's a little more complicated than you first thought. um, But here's how to do it. So it it, it is relatively simple, but it's not intuitive at first. You really need some help. Um, but I think I'm not that intelligent of a person. I think I'm an average intelligence at best, and I I can figure this stuff out so most people can figure it out.
0: Okay, so take us forward from the point you were working at the Rosetta Stone Company. So was that a a career?
1: I mean, it was three years of my life. Okay. It was a nine to five. It was not a whole lot of pay. Uh, I was in a department that was necessary but expendable at the same time, and so I just felt stuck. Um And I felt frustrated because I felt like I was meant to do more. And that wasn't, it didn't really fit my personality sitting in a cubicle. Um, it was easy. It's very easy for me to do. But I was very restless. Um, you just asked my wife during the season, I was really restless. We actually moved, uh, from, I was in Virginia at the time we moved to Florida. Um, and we were coming down here with a bunch of friends. Um, starting over kind of a new part of town um, I was helping one of my buddies who's a pastor I was helping him start a church so I was leading the band with him and we all sort of picked up and moved and got new jobs and this was right during the recession <laughs> so it was 2009 when I finally got down here and uh, started working for a company and they went under in three or four months and so I was here I bought a house for the first time had our first baby and now I had no job um, and I didn't know anybody we moved down here with just a couple of friends and so I was in this season of wow, okay, I need some income, and that's when I started to really ramp up the freelance thing. That's what I thought I was just going to do more of. I've always done it on the side, recording music and recording bands. I'll just I'll ramp it up full time. And um, how do you do that in the city you don't
0: you know you've never lived in? You're in, was it you said you were in Florida? So um, yeah, you good know, question. I'm assuming there's a reasonable music scene in Miami, being probably the, the capital, right? But um, do you just sort of, you know, go to gigs and say what you do? Or do you look in the paper or go online and look at Craigslist? How do you become a freelance uh, for oh, a sound mixer?
1: Yeah, well, it's funny because I actually I actually teach a course on how to do that now um, for my students. But yeah, that, those are all things you can do. The beauty of uh, sound mixing, that's like the process of taking the tracks that have been recorded and, and putting them together in a way that sounds really, really compelling. Um, you, you can do that remotely if somebody already recorded stuff somewhere else they can send you the files and just much like someone who shot a film I could then edit and uh and and finalize the film at home so that's what I was more interested in doing I did a lot of that so I had all my contacts in Virginia they could still send me files I could get in touch with people all over the world really and that's actually what what started me blogging was you know my wife was like why don't you just blog uh about what you're doing with your your bands and your clients and maybe people all over the world would see it and you might be able to get some more interest. People could send you files because they don't have to live in Florida. So at the time, that's kind of what started the blogging thing because I didn't want to blog. I didn't think of myself as a writer. I didn't want to take the time to do that. But uh, I use it as a way to maybe get some clients. But also I have a lot of friends, and this is really the genesis of the recording revolution. I have a lot of friends that are musicians that always ask me the same questions. Graham, what equipment do I need? Like you said, do any Pro Tools? How hard is it? How do I get it to sound good? And I was always answering the same questions to my musician friends. And I said, you know what? If I'm going to blog, I might as well blog about that because I'm more interested in helping people like my friends than I am just talking about what I'm doing with my clients. So I might as well make the blog a resource, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that was the very, very beginning of what is my current business right now. And I think for people listening in, if you're if you're thinking about how do you start a business selling online products or blogging, you know, or what could I teach people or what could I sell, If whatever questions you find that people are still asking you over and over again, you're always answering it. It's like second nature to you. Like it's not, you don't think it's really that helpful of information. Um, it might be a clue that there, that is something that you are known for, that you really can help people with, um, that you could bundle in a way that makes people's lives better as free content and as paid content. In essence, that's what happened to me. Mm-hmm.
0: So take us through the setting up of the blog. I'm, I'm assuming you were kind of technical if you're great with software for music mixing that's obviously very much on the computer. So does that translate to setting up a blog skills as well?
1: I mean in some ways, yeah, I definitely wasn't afraid of computers. Um, I still to this day am not very web savvy when it comes to building websites and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't care about it enough to to learn it. So. I have very basic knowledge, but I had I, heard of this thing called WordPress, um, so I looked up, looked into it, I realized it was free, I realized you could, as long as you had hosting, you could you know, pick your own template and theme and sort of make a simple blog, and my very first version of The Recording Revolution literally had no logo, it just had the words The Recording Revolution up top, and it had just a simple blog, and I just started writing. I literally just started writing. Um, and all I had was the economy hosting package on GoDaddy and a domain name. And that was about all I knew how to do was write and put it up there and just start sharing content with no with whoever was watching or reading, which was nobody.
0: <laughs> how hard was it to choose TheRecordingRevolution.com as your domain name?
1: You know, it's funny. It wasn't hard at all. I was That actually wasn't going to be the name, but I was originally blogging under my own name. Because uh, I had a freelance site under Graham Cochran and I had a blog there and I was like I really need to move this blog to its own thing. Um, it'll make more sense. So if anybody finds it, it's, they don't care about me, they just care about the, the videos, or the articles. So I was telling my wife, I want to write about you know, something related to how crazy it is this time uh, in this era where you can buy recording equipment for super cheap and I can have a studio in my garage and it's not a big deal. It's kind of like this recording revolution we're living through. So it'd be something like the recordingrevolution.com or whatever. It was just like a placeholder name, and it just stuck. And it's just, yeah, well, that's that describes what I think is really cool about this this music making that we're doing in this time in, in this era. So that was really all it was. I didn't think hard about it at all. Okay, so take us
0: forward. So you you got the domain name, you set up the blog, you start writing articles to answer those common questions. Your friends are asking You're freelancing with people sending you work from, I'm assuming, back home and wherever you had clients uh, in the past. Uh, Is that enough money to live off? What what happened next?
1: No, it was awful. It was uh, a painful 18 months to two years. You know, we had savings, so we were burning through savings every month to pay the bills. Uh, My wife is a photographer, so she's trying to take weddings um, when she can, and I'm freelancing, so getting a little bit of money there. But here's the thing: is I. I was blogging, hoping to get clients. I had no idea of how to turn the blog into a business. I, you know, It was 2009, so I was aware of people who had already been bl- successful blogging uh, and making money off their blog, at least something, a concept that I was familiar with. It wasn't as big as it is today, but still people were doing it. Um, I just didn't know how, and I kind of just was so in such a, pin- a pinch that I needed money that I was like, well, I'm going to find a way. I'm going to find a way to somehow, there's got to be a way to turn this blog into a money-making endeavor. What's funny is I didn't really know, like traditional models, where a lot of people would just, you know, get sponsorship and ads or, um, you know, affiliate products on the sidebar and stuff like that. I didn't know anything about anything about that. It was more of like, I need to get a, I a lot of readers and then I probably should like offer them, if I have free videos and Articles. I should probably offer them a, a paid video that's more in depth. that to me, that made sense. So that's what I tried to start doing was build a little email list and focus on building my first little product. I, I had no idea though, like what it should be, how to price it, if anyone would buy it, how to sell it. I just knew that that made sense. More videos, but more in depth. Right. Did you have any sources of education
0: at this point on this this topic of, of blogging no. or online business? Nothing? No. No.
1: I didn't know. I didn't even know like who to look into. I didn't know what the names were. I didn't know what sites to look into. And I I didn't even, I just kind of had my head down and I just started making blog articles and videos. I do
0: remember in the article Business Insider wrote about you that you had picked up, I don't know if this was now or later on, you picked up a copy of the four hour work week, but you actually returned it at that point because it was too over the top for you or something. Is that
1: right? Oh yeah, I bought it right when it came out. So maybe 2007. So I was still you know, working corporate job, I hated my job. So obviously, I saw that book come out and said, like, "Oh, that sounds great! I want to escape nine to five. <laughs> I want to live anywhere and join the new rich. That sounds great, Tim <laughs> Ferriss." So I bought the book. Um, I took it home, started reading it, and I said, "This, this is just a bunch of garbage. Like this is so fanciful and unrealistic. This, this doesn't make any sense. Maybe it worked for him, but it won't work for me." And I went back to Barnes and Noble, returned the book. And I was sort of just embarrassed at myself that I bought this book. Um, So that was before the recession, before I lost my job, before I came down and started blogging. It wasn't until probably 2011 or so, 2010, 2011, um, when I was solid two years into doing this, that I rebought the book. And uh, and read it with a different perspective, and realized I think he's onto something. <laughs> and uh, and now it's one of those books that I, I re-reference every year, um, and always get refreshed on staying focused and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, That's very awful. very helpful resource.
0: Okay, so you're in. You're doing this by yourself, then, with no skills. You're you've actually rejected some of the education around this topic. So you're going in by <laughs> really yourself. Really smart. <laughs> so you you. I mean, your plan sounded pretty straightforward. Videos work for free. I'm going to build my list and then sell a, a paid video
1: product. So did, did that go according to plan? It did. It, 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 you know, I. I think four months after blogging, I had created my first little product. It actually was a Pro Tools course um, on that specific piece of software because I was doing videos on YouTube, and at the time, they'd only let me do 15-minute-long videos. It was the longest they would let me. Uh, and so I said, "Well, if I want to teach this whole piece of software, I mean, it's like t- teaching someone Photoshop or teaching someone Final Cut. Like, it's going to take hours and hours to really explore the whole thing with them. And that'd be a million YouTube videos." I was like, that should be my first product. I'll just shoot all the videos, three, four hours of content, and I'll just put it up on my server somewhere and use the PayPal button and make a simple sales page. It's like, hey, this is welcome to the Pro Tools Bootcamp or whatever it was, and here's what we're going to cover, and here's the price. And I just slapped it up there. It was like a zip file, PayPal button, and I just emailed out my small little list at the time. It must have been maybe 200 people on my list or something. And said, "Hey guys, I have this whole Pro Tools course available. Check it out." And I remember sitting down on my computer and getting an email saying, "You've got, you know, money basically from PayPal. It was like forty-five dollars or whatever it was, and it was from that course." And uh, I just was so thrilled that somebody from somewhere else in the world put money in my PayPal account, and they got a digital download of something that I already worked hard on, but now I wasn't out a copy of that course. I could sell unlimited copies of that course over and over again. And that was my first taste of this selling digital products, having an online business. I realized I'm in business now. I'm actually in business. Why can't I do more of this, sell more of this one course and make more courses like it?
0: I love that moment. That first sale is always the best feeling. It's, it's quite amazing. Uh, and frankly, it's the hardest sale to make. I think most of the students that I work with, it's getting to the, that sale is a struggle so I'd love to maybe take a few few minutes now and uh, just break down some of the things that went into that because it's obviously a lot to go from simply just writing a blog to actually having 200 subscribers on your email list to be able to then sell a product and put together a product so the first and always the most important question everyone cares about is where did the traffic come from even if it was only 200 people on the list Uh, Were you doing proactive marketing or is this just a case of you write some blog posts and people showed up through Google search or something like that?
1: It's the latter. Uh, It's something that I guess you would call content marketing and it's basically become my strategy since day one without realizing it. I didn't have a strategy as we know. I rejected the one book that would have helped me and I didn't read any blogs, I didn't follow your podcast, I didn't follow anybody that would have helped me uh, along the way. So all I knew was well. Google is where people go to find information. That's where I go to find information about how to do things, even in my niche. YouTube is the second largest search engine in the world, or at least it was back then, and, and people are watching more videos now, so they're gonna also search on YouTube. So I figured, why not just create helpful content where people are looking on the subjects they're looking for in my niche? And that's all I decided to do. Um, I, I knew there's no other way for people to find me. Um, at the time so i just started creating blogs i decided to commit to a rhythm of how much content to make and i think when i started uh i was doing three pieces of content a week Mm -hmm. i would write two articles on my blog and then one youtube video which would also be a blog post but it would just be embedded there right so i did two written articles one video a week that was my rhythm for the first four and a half years of my business and I, i figured i can't control much but if i can control the consistency and the rhythm of my content creation As the weeks and months tick on, I'll be creating so much content on so many topics in my niche that eventually my stuff will rank or eventually people will find me. Um, And if they do find me, they'll see that I've got more stuff. So that was my strategy was just create the content on that rhythm. So I would make that content and somehow – by God's grace, the one thing I did understand about online business, and I don't know why, I don't know how I knew about this, was to build an email list because that's the one thing most people don't do well or they forget to do. It's so funny that that's the only thing I knew how to do or that I should do, and I'm so grateful that I did. And so I knew, well, I'm not going to be able to email anybody and let them know I have a product unless I get them on an email list, and they're not going to want to just join a random newsletter. i got to give them something cool that they'll want to exchange their email address for. So I wrote an ebook at the time. I think it was called the number one rule of home recording, and it, you know I thought it would be a really really helpful resource. Make it something they really want, and say, hey, download this free ebook. It'll help you if you're starting out in recording, and that's what I rocked for four years straight. Was that little lead magnet, and people were downloading that and joining my list. That was the first thing I made before a product was this little ebook. Worked hard on writing that, and um, that's really was build blog posts and videos, get people to download my little lead magnet. And then when I had that going, I built my first product. I didn't launch it. I didn't have a strategy. I just emailed out, hey, here it is, and then people started to buy it. You know, It was very, very crude, very raw, but it showed the simple mechanics of the business, which was create content that people then find from Google and YouTube. They come to your site, they love that content, they want to get your free lead magnet to join your email list, then you sell them a product on the email. That's literally my business model to this day. Uh, and that's it, showed me how simple it was, so I never overcomplicated it, and everything has just kind of grown off of that simple model. Was there
0: any uh, beyond this fantastic content machine that you were building up? Was there uh, any proactive marketing to, for example, build links? Uh, I know, you know, maybe five, six years ago. I mean, it was still important five, six years ago. I know when I started in 2005, you really didn't have to do any link building because you just started a blog and Google threw traffic at you. But by the time you're starting, 2010, 2011, you are needing to get some kind of external exposure in order to rank better in search engines. Maybe not so much YouTube, you might've been able to like just, you know, put out a bunch of videos and if you're hitting the right phrases, YouTube will put your content first. So did you do anything or was it simply a case of I'll put so much content out there that, you know, I'll just get enough traffic. And then maybe things like what's happening now, you start getting asked on a podcast or cause I'm, I'm not hearing anything about writing guest posts or spending times in forums or communities or trying to you know, get featured in the press to sort of build your exposure. You just
1: put content out there. Is, is that accurate? It's it's mostly accurate. Again, I had no strategy, so I, I, there's a lot of things I probably would have done differently to just speed up the process. If I what I know now, but to be honest, there was a couple things that worked. One was um, yes, spending time in communities. So there was a couple forums um, at the time that I hung out in, and I am my target audience for my blog. So I was like, well, I'll just go to the place that I know lots of people are that I've spent time in. And I will try to be more active and being a helpful resource there, answering people's questions, asking good questions, just being around and then making sure I have my signature line in that forum or whatever saying, you know, the Recording Revolution with a little tagline and my link so that people would naturally want to click over. I didn't want to be forceful. I know you can get kicked out of forums and stuff if you're always self-promoting. And that's not – I don't think self-promotion – if that's all you do is the key, I think helping people and serving people is the key. People love you for that, and it's more powerful. So I figured I don't need to self-promote that much. I can just answer people's questions, become a authority by just being helpful. And if there is a, an article or a video that I have done that specifically answers something, I'd be like, hey, this might help you too. I wrote this a while ago. Check it out. But just sort of loosely plug things. I became known in a couple forums that helped a little bit get some traffic early on. But one thing that I think did help a lot, honestly, Yara, at the beginning was um, there was a brand of a, co- a company that's in our niche sort of joked on and frowned upon as being sort of cheap or budget and and it's given, it gets made fun of a lot and for no real good reason because actually the products are really, really good. Um, it's just kind of become a stigma. You know, you got like those brands of, in any genre or any niche that are like respected and the brands that aren't as respected. Mm-hmm. But um, I wrote an article sort of calling out people for this sort of brand snobbery uh, as it related to this specific brand. And I mentioned them in the brand, and I mentioned them on Twitter at the time um, when I po- posted the article saying, hey, you know, um, people have too much brand snobbery when it comes to this, this brand and whatever, whatever. And I, I called that a very specific brand. I called that a very specific group of people and made a very bold claim that I thought these products were awesome and that people that didn't think so just literally was all in their head. They just were they were snobs about it. And that article got a lot of, of buzz in my little niche. And some people loved it because they felt like I was st- speaking up for them and sticking up for them because they use those products. And some people made fun of me <laughs> and thought I was an idiot. But the brand saw it. Mm-hmm. The brand saw it, and they appreciated it, obviously. And so they retweeted it, and they shared it. And things like that ha- helped the people that liked that brand hear about me. I'm like, oh, here's a guy supporting that brand and they liked the way I taught. And it brought their audience over to my what I was doing, my little corner of the internet. And early on, that was huge. I mean, if I would get an extra three hundred people on my site in a day, that was a big, big deal. And that kind of stuff was happening early on because I said very bold things and stood up for a very bold specific, you know, brand, um, where early on they not only tweeted some stuff, but then they actually asked me if I would write a couple of blog posts for their blog, and they're a massive company with millions of followers. So I was able to blog on their site a little bit and sort of ex- get some more exposure that way. Um, and I think that really helped because I wasn't just creating helpful content, I was creating content that would cause a little bit of a stir in my niche. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to stand out. I wanted people to go, who is this guy? Like, what Does he really believe this stuff? I wanted people to know that I was a little different than just the average, here's a helpful article. I really wanted to stand for something and stand against other things so that people would get talking. And to this day, I'm try to make sure that I, I bring in articles that are somewhat controversial just to prove a point that I really don't want to be vanilla. I really believe in some very specific things. And if you disagree with me, you should should tell me that you should probably leave because I'm not mm-hmm. going to change my mind. And if you like it, then you're going to be even more loyal. So that, that helped out a lot too.
0: Yeah, I think you're not the first person on these interviews who talked about the effectiveness of having an opinion, essentially, and not just sort of trying to make everyone happy, but going to one side or the other and, and being honest. And sometimes the controversy can
1: be fantastic for traffic. So uh, so good, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's not just controversy for controversy's sake. It's like you said, if you really believe something, um, have the guts. If you're going to blog, you might as well have the guts to just put it all out there mm-hmm. about what you think and assume that people are going to, totally think you're an idiot um, but there's no way around that if I that that's part of the price I guess of to play this game of, of having successful online presences I have I, I have haters weekly if not daily that say that they think I'm completely stupid
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, one other question regarding this part of the process you you've done a lot with video here so you were youtubing and then your first product was also video what was your your video set up back then is it I'm guessing because you have to record your screen a lot showing how this software works. Was that all it was or were you on the screen sometimes? What What was the setup for recording?
1: Yeah, great question. In a lot of ways it's easy because most of my content is what's happening on the screen. So that's what I focused on was I would just use screen grab software um, and it would record my voice and a microphone and then what's going on, on the screen and it was easy to have to worry about location, you have to worry about lighting, you have to have a camera. So my first few products, my first two were all just screen capture, very easy and very quick to make, and that's just because of the nature of what I was teaching. Um, when I needed to be on camera back in the day, do you remember those little flip HD cameras? Oh, yeah, They're called yeah. flips. Yeah, that's that's what I had basically. Um, I think I actually had the Kodak version of that, the copied that, that camera, and I basically just put that up on a tripod. And talked into that. Had no lighting. I would just try to stand in front of a window or sit in front of a window, and just like make sure, you know, like
0: just. I was gonna say you you probably had a setup like this where you got the lawn blower in
1: the background, right? Oh yeah, man, (laughs) and my guys are going crazy. Exactly that. I would wait like literally. I would have to be like, hey, let's stop for a second. Wait for these guys to move. And uh, and just record. It was super ghetto, and and still to this day is. I mean, right now my studio is in my garage, and it's relatively quiet except for when that guy, once or twice a week, is out there blowing the grass. And so I yeah, just would in between. Oh man, my kids would be crying. You know, in between the babies crying and people outside, just throw up this little video, talk into it as best I could, and the quality was not that great. Um, but it was the best I could do, and I didn't have any money at the time, so I didn't want to go spend a lot of money or I didn't want to put anything on my credit card just to have a nice camera. I figured uh, I'll do it on the cheap or on the free till I can make some money, and if I can make some money, then that proves to myself that I'm doing something that's worth investing a camera in, and then I'll use that money to buy a camera and put it back into the business. So I'm, I'm the kind of person that spend as little as possible um, until the business is making money. Yeah. And so that's, yeah, videos early on didn't look that great. Um, and that's okay. They've gotten a lot better over the years. <laughs> so take us
0: forward then with the business. So it's you said you did two video products. so So was that the plan? after the first one, you made some sales. I know when I first made a sale, you you kind of do the numbers and you go, well, in like in your case, I've got two hundred people on my list, and I made X sales. If I have two thousand people on my list, will that ten x my sales? Is that your thinking?
1: You know, I didn't even think that specifically about it. At the time, I I, I just knew that more was better. So I, <laughs> you know, I, but the problem was, is I thought I only had one idea for a product. And the reason was is that I didn't feel that I was credible enough to teach everything that I wanted to teach in this field. And I don't know if anyone's ever felt that fear of, you know, blogging is one thing, like a free article, a free video, but selling a course or a product um, that's a scary jump for people, I think, because they're like, who? You know, the, who am I to to charge people for this information? Mm. Um, I get that question a lot from students, like, who am I to to charge for what you could find on YouTube? And that that sort of that question almost reveals the mindset that needs to change there. Of it's not the same thing. Yes, we live in the, the university YouTube world where you can find almost anything you need on YouTube. It's it's more than that. It's the The curation of information, sifting through the clutter, creating an incredible classroom experience with your product, Um, all the in-depth things that are able to be shared in a longer, more thought-out, outlined video course, Um, all those things are super valuable, even if you can kind of maybe piece some of it together on YouTube or listening to a million podcasts. There is value there, and you have to focus on the value, but I, at the time, was scared to death. I was like, I'm not credible to teach anything, Um, so I was like, I'll just do this one course, and I had a hard time thinking of what else I could sell. I really had to rack my brain. Um, so I just sort of inched along. It took me another four months to come up with another idea of what I felt comfortable selling. But that's when the second product was made. Um, very similar. Just shot it. I outlined it, shot it, edited it, made a PayPal button on a simple website with iWeb. I think I was using iWeb back in the day on my Mac. And I would just then sell that into my list, which was a little bit bigger. It wasn't that much bigger, but I tried my best and made a few more sales and just try to keep thinking about what else could I sell while I kept blogging, doing videos to grow the email list.
0: What what was your strategy, which probably wasn't a strategy, but what was your decision making on uh, how to price these products and how to structure them, like teach? Because I'm assuming this is the first time you were a course creator as well. So where did you come up with those concepts?
1: Yeah, great question. So my, my only pricing strategy was to charge more than my competition. Um, and the reason was is I looked around in my niche um, the audio tutorial space. There there were companies back then, and still are, that sell all kinds of professional tutorials. If you want to learn how to use Pro Tools, you want to learn how to record drums, There's, you could buy these videos. Um, and they were priced at the time all around like $20, $30 for these video products. And I bought some of them. And some of the information was helpful, but the instructors were awful. They were boring. They were, they were so dry. They just made you want to stick pencils in your eyes, and they made it seem more complex than it was. It wasn't fun. So I thought, man, if I could teach the same content, but in a way that's much more fun, much more user-friendly, and make it sound like it's just you sitting down with a friend over coffee on the afternoon and that friend explaining to you everything you need to know about this topic, that would be much more valuable than this boring scripted tutorial that I was buying. So I figured if they're charging 30 bucks, I should be at least 45 bucks. I should at least be 15% or 50% more. Um, so that's what I did at the time. That's, that was my logic was, I'll be a lot more. And then that, to me, that was a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> I, that was the pricing strategy at the time. And the the course building strategy was literally just an outline. It was like, I just, what would I, what would I teach you if you came over to my house this afternoon and we poured coffee and had three, four hours, what would I teach you first? What would I teach you second? What, what would make sense if you did this to my friends? So I was just thinking about my friends, like, where do they like to start? Where do they get overwhelmed? And I just sort of mapped it out, hoped for the best, and shot it, and then that's what it was.
0: Do you remember how many sales those first two products eventually sold, like how much money you made from those two?
1: that is a good question I want to say in my first year where I finally had two products for sale I might have made five thousand dollars in the whole year you know
0: okay so, so that's encouraging but certainly not giving up the the freelance work kind of money yet <laughs> exactly
1: and that's kind of where I got stuck Yara was I was like okay yes on paper I've done it I've I've made money online you know there's not much money and and i saw it growing slowly but that's where i got stuck I was like this is going to take a long time like this is going to take 5 years before i see anything substantial at the pace i'm going um so i felt like it wasn't really an income replacement solution it was just a okay i have another little income stream i just really need the freelancing to pick up so I, I wasn't really too encouraged about that at the time but i kept my head down and kept going um but i didn't really expect it to really be a full-time income I certainly didn't expect it to be six figures or what it is today at all. Well, take us forward. What happened next? Well, the second year, 2011, my second year was kind of where that hockey stick sort of spike happened. And it was a combination of a few things. I did I did an experiment where I was like, well, what if I post something every day for a month, like a video every day and do like a big like event, like a series? Because remember at the time I was only posting three times a week. And so I did this thing on YouTube Right, I called it Five Minutes to a Better Mix. And I did a five-minute video every day for the, the month. It was 31 days. And that just blew up. I don't know how it did. It was like some people started to find it. And like, hey, there's this guy on YouTube doing this thing where every day this month he's sharing a video. Um, and it just seemed like an event and less like a random blog post here or a random video there. And my traffic doubled at the end of that month. And and stayed up at that new level. And that was a huge bump in traffic for me that made everything speed up. And at the same time, later that year, I launched two products that turns out were much more in line with what people really wanted to learn in my niche. Um, And to this day, there's two of my best selling products still five years later, five and a half years later. Um, and I think it was more of the topic. I finally hit a topic that I was too afraid to teach, did so I didn't think I was good enough to teach at, but it was the topic everybody wanted to learn from, is what people were asking for, but I was afraid to give them. And I, I launched those products, and they sold much, much better, and I had a bigger list, um, and all of that was just sort of spiraling up. It was like at the 18-month 18, 18 mark was really when traffic really picked up, and I was starting to make a lot more sales because then I was offering a better product to those people. And uh, by the end of that year, I don't know, keep in mind, I don't know if I mentioned this, but during those 18 months, I'm on food stamps, by the way. I'm on government assistance um, against my desire. My wife really wanted to because they would help with um, grocery money, and I was really prideful. And I was like, no, no, we don't need food stamps. We're fine. That's not, that's not the kind of people we are. But at the time, we really literally had no income. I um, was just gigging here or there and um, we were doing that for 18 months and so my goal was just to get off of that and replace my income and that happened really at the end of the two-year mark where I would replaced what I was making at uh, at Rosetta Stone a couple of years prior. they got to be done at some point. There's not much <laughs> else to do out there.
0: Uh, okay, so this is about the end of 2011. When you say you replaced your income, we're talking, you know, you're know, you making 50 grand a month now, sorry not a month, 50 grand a year from, from this business and that's a big jump from 5,000. That's like a 10x jump, so. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we were hitting about 60,000 that year by the end of the year and it, it really all came in the last four or five months okay. of that year. Well, keep keep taking this forward so
0: because even then you're you're still only making a basic salary that's fantastic obviously you know that's that's the main first step oh to go. yeah
1: so <laughs> that was my dream I was like, wow dude i'm I'm making what I made at of an office job and I'm making it from home on a blog I'm um, doing stuff I'm interested in so to me that was game over I was done I was happy. And it sounds like it was just
0: compounding that kind of got you there. You got a little bit better at everything, your traffic got bigger because you did some more concentrated marketing campaigns. It doesn't sound like you can point to any one specific thing, it just was that consistency and compounding. Is that fair
1: to say? Absolutely. I really think it was. It was the same stuff I've been doing from day one, it just finally was paying off.
0: Okay, so take us forward then. So how do you go from you know, 50,000, 60,000 a month? <laughs> To that kind of money, uh, uh, um, sorry, 50,000, 60,000 a year to that kind of money a day, because that's another sort of 10x. God, I keep making this sound better than it is, a month. <laughs> 50 to 60,000. I like, I like your numbers. <laughs> <laughs> that's the next level. 50,000, 60,000 a year to 50,000, 60,000 a month, with obviously the next goal being 50,000, 60,000 a day. So, anyway, okay. to get, get to that multiple six figures, because I know. And you're having children as well, so you know fifty to sixty thousand a year starts to look like not so much when you've got two kids as well. And then you want to get to the you know least a hundred thousand a year, but ideally you know bigger than that. And that's again another sort of quantum leap in your traffic, your products. And I'd love to, before we finish this call, just have a quick review of of what you do sell today, because you have a range of products, and you know you said you had trouble deciding what your second product was. You've obviously not had that problem since then. Um, I'm guessing you saw a lot more niches within niches within your subject. So tell us how that works. And I'd love to know today in particular, how you sell your stuff, because with so many products, you know, you must have, you know, multiple campaigns running through your email sequence and how you have multiple funnels and how all that works today.
1: Yeah, I mean, good. it's a good question. It's a combination of you know, I continue to just do content to grow. I knew I needed to reach more people. And the thing is, is, once you start to reach people, it's easier to reach more people because it's the people doing the work for you, them sharing it, you know. Um, so what? that's the hard part of the beginning is nobody knows you exist. Once people start to know you exist, they share something on Facebook or Twitter or they, um, they recommend your videos to a friend. Um, a certain video or certain article becomes a little bit more shared or more viral, um, you know. It, so things pick up. To the point where all your same effort of blogging and making videos now has more reward because it's the other people doing the work for you. So that helped grow my list. More people on my list means more people going through my automation sequence, which is up until recently, um, actually still today, is very simple. It's basic, basically one funnel that everybody goes through um, where I, I offer them some more free stuff. And then really early on, um, I used to take a long time in the sales sequence to sell them. It'd be like, drag it out for two, three weeks of like engaging with them and then eventually offer them a product. And I completely changed my strategy on that, um, where now I'm selling to them within three days of them joining my list. Um, and it increased sales dramatically. So I, I'm selling more often, it automated through that sequence. And that's where most of my money comes through, is in that automated sequence of new people going through the funnel. I don't launch to my list very often, I don't promote to my list very often. It's mostly new people finding me are really fresh, really excited to find my resources. They're in that that golden zone of, oh, this is a great new place. Who is this guy? This is really helpful. They download the free stuff. They get some more free emails. And then they hear about this course that I have uh, that's right on that niche they've been learning about that really covers everything in depth. It walks them through. It's like me holding their hand. Um, They should check it out and they, they, they want to buy it. And so I sell more often in the sequences in my funnel. I sell more products. I sell products at higher price points now. It's a big piece of it, Yarrow, is I, I, instead of selling products at the $40, $50 range, um, I try to sell at the $100 range, $150 range. I have a, I have a course that's $1,000, it just really depends on what it is. Um, selling it for you know more money, offering more for more, something Seth Godin talks about a lot. Um, just charge more and then offer more, make it a more valuable experience uh, instead of trying to undercut the market. Um, you, you shed some of those customers that just really want to complain and want refunds all the time just because you're not playing in the $50 or below sandbox. You're playing in the $100 sandbox or $200 sandbox, which is still cheap in information products. My my information products, I think, are relatively cheap in terms of what's out there in information product land. But selling for a higher price... One thing that I was not doing for the first few years was I I did not have multiple tiers of my products. I only had one price. And that's a huge mistake. I realized I left a lot of money on the table saying, here's my course and here's the price. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now I always offer the course at two or three prices, um, the normal price and then a more premium version of the course with extra goodies at a higher price. And that's a huge little trick anybody can do because not only do some people just want to buy your most expensive thing, period. Um, what it does psychologically is so fun is it takes the question in their mind away from, oh, should I buy this course to which one should I buy? <laughs> it's a very subtle shift, right? And they don't realize they're doing it, but they're like, oh, do I want the cheap, like, I don't want to pay that much for a course. So they're actually just comparing the prices now as opposed to asking do they want it or not at all. And that really, really helps me sell a lot more and lets people decide what version of the course is good for them. And uh, I mean, it's just been adding more of that, higher price points, multiple price points. Adding a membership site, like you mentioned with my friend Joe Gilder, I wanted to have some continuity program um, to sort of smooth out some of the sales there. And that's become, that grows every month. And that scales as the income increases for the same amount of work you're doing every month. And it's just been a little bit of adding more to the repertoire, growing the email list, uh, learning how to write sales copy better, which is something that we all have to just learn, realizing that. You know the sales process is less about you and it's all about them. And just understanding your audience better and what they need and what they struggle with and what words they use and being more conversational and being more real. And it, I had to learn how to do that well and practice and and write horrible sales copy at the beginning and slightly better now. And I think all those things compounding over the years have brought the the business from 60k a year to you know 600k. You know is what we did I think last year. So it's it all just is compounded.
0: Fantastic. Okay. Would you mind just before we wrap it up, it's uh, an overview here, you have uh, how many products and how do you sell them now? Is I'm assuming you switched to some sort of membership site software rather than like a PayPal button and a download link for a
1: zip file. So is, <laughs> how's that changed? I did. I did rock that for four years, though. It worked pretty <laughs> That's well. Awesome. Um, so yeah, the, these days I use Kajabi, and I'm using the new Kajabi that came out a year ago. Uh, and that's fantastic for me as a sort of all in one service. Um, so it'll collect payment through Stripe and it can do reoccurring payments or one off payments. Um, it hosts the courses. So it gives people logins and they can have video embedded courses or you can have PDFs embedded. It's all sort of paywall, um, password protected. It tracks sales, it can do affiliates. Um, it can create landing pages, sales pages, all of that. It's pretty good one-stop shop, Uh, so I really enjoy Kajabi. I've used that for use the old version for a couple years, and I really like the new version. Um, I'm trying to think how many products I have. Maybe eight or nine products right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. But what's your? I know Kajabi
0: does email as well. So are they your email like autoresponder, uh, you know, your funnel building tool as well?
1: Uh, Good question. No, um, only because they just rolled that out a few months ago um, for. Up until last year, I was on Mailchimp. So wow. for the first seven plus years, I was rocking Mailchimp. Um, I just recently switched over to ConvertKit. Okay. Um, mostly so I can start to then create separate, segmented lists where I want to offer different lead magnets uh, to different people and be able to be a little more strategic there. But I, this is something I put off for the last five years. Wow. Everybody told me a segment. And I was like, I don't want to. Se- I don't want to deal with that complexity, because to me. I can make a lot of money still with just a simple one giant list, one simple funnel, and that's worked great. And literally, this will be the first year I use ConvertKit. Right now, it's still just one giant list. So yeah, Mailchimp worked great for seven years. People laugh at me. Like, You're still on Mailchimp? You don't have Infusion? You don't have this or that? I was like, no, because it's working. Why would, wow. I, why would I change? I don't need to.
0: So to clarify, then you've got one sequence that sells eight different
1: products. Is that right? Well, in essence, it's, I sell five of the products in that sequence. Okay. But yeah, it's a one-six giant sixty-day sequence that eventually they get pitched five different products. Wow. Yeah.
0: Okay, that's a little different. I mean, uh, I've got similar amount of products, but every one of them has its own individual email sequence. So. I kind of—I I guess you could—but sixty days, man. You must pack it in sixty days. <laughs> you know, it's like a product. That every second day, you'd have to run a campaign for it. That's interesting. I'm gonna have to join your list now,
1: just to see how you do, do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, don't you know? It's, in some regards, I do a lot of things wrong, and I learned that over the years. Like, wow, that's not what other people are doing. But wrong, just meaning that it's not what other people are doing. To me, the you know, business is simple, right? Is it profitable or not? Yeah. You can have all the right funnels and not make any money and then something's wrong. Or you can have this, the silliest funnel, like Graham has one giant MailChimp list that people make fun of uh, you for, and, uh, but it makes lots of money yeah. and serves a lot of people. So I was just under the impression of as long as I'm making money and my customers are really happy, I'm doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, And I'm just the kind of person that just doesn't, I don't like change if I don't have to. And I keep it as simple as possible so I can wrap my head around it. So it's worked for me. And I think that's encouraging is that I'm not against segmenting, obviously, like I said, I'm finally switching over to a platform that's going to allow me to do more of what you're doing because I think I can be more strategic, but I mean, I I make more money than I ever thought as a musician I'd be able to make, and I, I've had a very simple business model that helps me work easily and sleep at night and not be frustrated and overwhelmed, and that's just more of my personality. I don't really get into that kind of stuff Yeah,
0: industry. and you know what? If I was doing 600K a year just from one 60-day email sequence, I'd be probably happy with that as well. I mean, uh, I, for me, the back, I remember going back a few years and I did have one year long email sequence, which, you know, wow. in, which might've brought in a couple, hundred thousand a year and that was awesome while it was working and it started to sort of, you know, not work as well. So yeah, I don't think there's any reason for you necessarily to do any different things unless you wanted, you know, potentially go to the next level. But even then I'm not sure if it would like anyway. Um, still i'm going to join that leap that list i have to see how you do that okay so uh last few questions then um in terms of your lifestyle today it sounds to me if you have a 60-day email sequence and you've produced all this content over the years you've got no doubt i mean i don't even know how many videos and how much traffic you must get from youtube if you you want to share that data, i'd love to know as well and how many people subscribe to your list each day and how big your list is today i'd love to know that but in terms of um you know a day in the life now it sounds like that would probably Function by itself is that correct?
1: So in essence, yes. Um, literally, I don't have to do anything and money comes in. Which <laughs> when you say it like that, it sounds pretty awesome. It sure does. Um, uh, so in essence, yeah, that's true. There's so much content. Um, you know, I think web traffic. I'm getting about two hundred thousand visitors a month to the site. Um, you know, YouTube brings a lot of traffic. On like I have on YouTube, about twenty three million views and. Almost 300,000 subscribers on my YouTube channel. So, a lot of people find me through YouTube, mostly because in my niche, videos are a helpful way to teach the subject. So, there's a lot of videos. Um, So, yes, all that's out there and all the hard work of the past seven years is paying off where traffic is generated for free every day. They find my site, they join the list, they go through a sequence, they're pitched products, they buy them, they're happy. Uh, And so, I don't really have to do anything for money to come in. The way I view it, though, is it's kind of a machine that always needs to be fed, ideally, to stay current and stay fresh. Um, and so I, I kind of still have a rhythm of making content every week. Um, I don't make three pieces of content every week. It's now down to two. Uh, it's just, I experimented with that and my web traffic did not change, so I'm like, yeah, okay, I can get away with two now. Um, so I'm still making fresh content because I want to always be a resource that's fresh, that's current, that's the go-to place in my, my my niche. I didn't create this just to um, sit back and, and have money come in. Um, I actually believe in, in hard work and serving people and I sleep better at night knowing that I did something productive today. And um, so I like that, that I keep feeding it some content. I want to continue to engage with my email list, um, I always send them emails every week giving them free content or just checking in with them or giving them another resource to check out. Um, so in essence, my weeks are pretty chill. The great news is that I can I can take off whenever I want. I just took a couple weeks off around Christmas um, and money still comes in and people are still serviced and it's fine. Um, so that is the beauty of the lifestyle, I guess. Now is the flexibility uh, and the ability to ease back if I need to or spend time traveling or do things or just take my kids to school like I did this morning and pick them up in a couple hours in the afternoon and and not feel rushed like I have to do anything.
0: You must have a team now helping you though, right?
1: Well, to be fair, um, up until the first four and a half years, I did everything by myself. And then the last two years, I've had an assistant who helps me with my email. And he's been working about 10 hours a week. And my email was the biggest bottleneck, right? I just get so many emails from fans like, hey, they're asking me questions. I would spend hours in email every day just trying to respond to people. And um, Or if I was out of town and somebody didn't get a download link or a customer, was, I felt like trapped by the email thing. Mm. So that was the first thing I hired out was just an assistant. Very inexpensive. He's a friend of mine. Wanted to make some extra money on the side. He can do it from anywhere. And uh, he's been a huge asset. Um, and that's really been the whole game. It's just me and him for the last couple of years. Wow. Um, just recently, I hired a marketing manager, a guy to really partner with me. To help me do some heavy lifting this year um, because I really want to improve some areas of my business uh, and I don't have the brain space to want to do that. That's a very, like talking like a month or two ago. So it's really just been me and then someone helping me with email because it's a really simple business platform. It really doesn't take much work um, outside of creating the content and uh, being the face of the brand. Mm, That's
0: incredible. I mean, yeah, you really are a fantastic example of the power of a simple business model in a hungry niche that you've just focused on for a number of years. I'm amazed that you've done all the tech stuff yourself for that long as well. You haven't said to me, oh, I hired a tech person to set up my websites and you know create landing pages and membership areas, You know, use Kajabi for me and upload videos. But it sounds like that hasn't been a part of it. It's been all you despite the fact that there was money by the sounds of things eventually to pay these
1: people as well. So that, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, to, to be fair, I've hired out like design work here or there for logos and I had my current website. I paid a, a guide to design and build it out because the first two I built by myself on WordPress and I was just tired of doing it. So, but yeah, most I do all my video editing. I, I do all the web stuff, the landing pages. Um, and it's mostly out of curiosity. I want to be able to know how to do those things. Um, and I just like the, I'm a Type A person. I'd rather just do it myself quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and because the business doesn't take that much time, I have the time to do that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if I was really strapped for time, I would just hire it out, and I think hiring out is super super smart. Um, plus, people can do it better than I can, but I can do it well enough <laughs> to the point where money comes in and people are satisfied. So I've been happy with that, and I've enjoyed learning along the way. Um, and I guess that's the one thing I really want to encourage people with is the, the business is, it, it's such a simple platform. It's a wonderful model for earning an income is taking what you know and sharing it with people and having a spirit of generosity in all you do. And that I, I had friends early on that criticized me for giving away so much content on YouTube and my blog. They saying, Graham, some of these, these videos you're doing, you should charge for. You should make these products. You're giving away too much for free. And I just disagreed with them from the outset. I said, no, this giving away so much information for free and being so consistent in my blogging um, timeline and schedule is what allows me to sell so much product. Mm. That's why my you know my list is bigger and my audience is bigger than even a lot of the, my colleagues back in the day. I grew a lot faster because I just didn't let up on content creation and serving my audience for free um, that's so many people have heard about my brand and my niche. And again, the old 80-20 rule, I mean, I make money off of maybe 10% of the people that are on my list, you know? Like I think I looked at the number of customers I have and the people on my list. I think only ten percent of them have ever paid me for anything. That's a small percentage. Mm-hmm. I think I want a hundred percent of the people to buy something. <laughs> so ten percent to me is awful, but it but that's what makes a living. But that's I make a good living because I have such a huge audience. And that ten percent now is a bigger chunk, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't get a big audience if I just skimp out on my content and, and hoard everything to sell. I want to give, give, give as much as I can to reach as much as many people as I can. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, I think that's a fantastic uh, spot to end, Graham. Thank you for breaking down so much. I could keep asking you more questions because I'm I'm very compelled by, you know, you're doing the exact business model that I love talking about, and you're probably doing it better than most people I've ever interviewed, given how simple and elegant it still is. Uh, But We've run out of time, so thank you for sharing what you have shared with us. It's a great story, and congratulations on the results. For people listening in, the recordingrevolution.com, I'm going to dig into his website right now after this call and join join his list and check out a few of his sales pages and things because, Graham, I'm very curious. Um, Any last words you want to throw people uh, at this point in the interview?
1: No, I was just going to say, um, as of right now, if they're interested in sort of following along in all things business and sort of my thoughts on that, I actually just this week finally launched a new Facebook page um, where I'm going to be talking just about the business of things, like how I run my business. And sort of just thoughts on business and, and it integrates. Um, so if you're interested in that side of things, you can check that out: uh, at facebookcom slash Cochrane. So it's pretty easy to find there. But that's uh, we can kind of continue this conversation there. I'd love to hear your thoughts as you're starting your business or working on your business because it's kind of a community thing. We're all working on our on our own in our little uh, business caves, you know, and it's it's lonely sometimes. That's why I'm glad you've got this podcast and glad you got your your audience and your community because. That's how I learn, is I pay attention to what other people are doing and um, it helps you feel like you're not crazy (laughs) because this (laughs) entrepreneur journey is crazy um, for people that don't understand it. So yeah, if you want to join some of that, I'm just going to be sharing stuff over there every once in a while. All
0: right. I'll join too. Thanks, Graham. appreciate you spending the time. And for anyone listening in, if you do want to grab the show notes or any of the links that Graham's mentioned throughout the interview, uh, they'll be available along with the blog post that goes with this podcast so you can find that pretty easily you know where to go my blog entrepreneurs journey.com and then click the podcast tab and look for graham cochran or the easiest way to find me is just google my name y-a-r-o and you'll find my blog there and again just go to the podcast tab to find graham's interview thanks for listening thanks graham and i'll talk to you again on a future interview